0: everybody. There we go. So you can tell we did some things like we do here. We got in small groups. We heard some talks. Uh, we had a beach there, which we don't have here, and we had a baptism there, which uh, we don't normally do on Alpha Nights. Uh, Brad got baptized in a public way. It was lovely. Thank you for allowing us to be part of that, Brad. Yeah. So, Brad, I'm going to pick on you just for a second. You may be asking yourself, well, now what should I do? Okay, I've, I've gotten baptized, or okay, something's changing in my life, what should I do? I'm on page 62. Um, well, the common sense answer would be, uh, break with the past. If there was parts of your past, if there are things in your past, if there are things that you um, are still a part of as you're going through this alpha course that are causing you uh, consternation, if you will, then um, allow the Lord to have your mind and, and be changed. Let's look at page 844 of the Bibles. We're going to do a little bit of Bible flipping tonight. 844, this is Romans. Paul wrote this letter, and he talks over and over and over again about this change that I'm speaking about, this this, uh, metamorphosis that occurs when someone decides to follow Jesus. Romans 12, on page 844, second verse. Second verse. Here's Paul's advice. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we don't shut our minds off. We have our minds renewed. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul is saying you have a mind. God's given you intellect. Use it, but weigh it. Look at things in a different way now. Don't let your past dictate your future, some might say, in this secular society we live in. But begin to hold up the truths that you've been taught or told here in Alpha against what the world may be selling or telling you. Um, The quote there by J.B. Phillips on the next line says, do not let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. Because that's what the world seeks to do, is to get us to conform to its values and its way of life. And one of the things I often preach about is that this world is upside down. I told a story a couple weeks ago about uh, an upside down world. We don't have time tonight, but most people don't think about that. They think the world as we see it is the way God intended it, and that's not the truth. And Paul, throughout the whole New Testament, talks about the world being different and the world being um, the opposite of what God had intended in the very beginning. So we're talking about making a new start. And then section two then goes on to talk about, well, how do I do that? And it mentions there that it is an act of our will. It's not that we can just stand here and say, okay, Lord, do whatever you want with me. I'm all in. We actually have to conform our wills. We have to submit our wills to God. And then the Course God gives you several ways or several parts of our body that you have to actually engage. Your ears, your eyes, your mouths, your hands, everything. God says he wants all of us. So all of these things are part of what God needs from us or wants from us in order to begin to conform us to his will and his plan for our life. And then number three says, well, why would I want to be conformed to God's will? I mean, if I'm, if, like Brad, if I, if I was baptized Saturday and all my sins are forgiven and everything is okay, what difference does it make, you know, how I live from here on out? Well, the reason we wouldn't want to do that is right there in Romans twelve two as well. God's will for our lives is good and pleasing and perfect. In other words, God has a plan for each of our lives. Um, life is not just a circular event that goes around and around, the same thing, same, you know, what's that expression, same blank, different day, you know, it's not that. We're actually on a progression. We're moving toward perfection, if you will. The Bible is clear that one day we will be made perfect when we stand there in front of Jesus. And so we should want to do that because we would want to follow and please our Lord in view of God's mercy. That's the last point that it makes. So what should we do? We should break with our past, and we should begin to realize that things look different for a reason. We've been exposed to some new truths in our lives. We've been told some things that maybe we've never heard before in our small group discussions. And so you're going to have to begin to start to weigh things in your life. Do I want to believe what the Alpha Course has taught me, or do I want to believe the way the old lifestyle was? I mean, Dr. Phil, Oprah's person on television, is always good about asking people who are in the midst of turmoil after they've spewed their guts out to him, and they've, you know, repeated these patterns in their life. One of the things that he says all the time is, well, how's that working for you? How's that working for you? And I say that to people all the time. Now I kind of catch myself doing it. Um, if, if your old life, if the way you used to live wasn't working well for you, and then you've decided, okay, I'm going to try something new, um, you've got to be able to, to, to conform to God's will for your life. You've got to be able to submit to his authority in your life. And like I said, you do it with your all your body, and you do it because God has a perfect plan for you. So that's the brief synopsis of chapter 11. Now, this was a talk that used to be right after the Holy Spirit weekend, because as we prayed tonight in our small group before we started, uh, one of the things that seems to happen, especially for people who get fired up for um, Jesus, I don't know how else to say that, is that um, all kind of bad stuff begins to happen. Our lives uh, don't become better instantly. It's not as if raising your hand for Jesus has suddenly made you, uh, you've now got rose colored glasses on and the whole world looks great now actually uh, quite the opposite happens. Quite the opposite happens. But before I get into the heart of the talk, I want to say two things about the reality of Satan. Um, C.S. Lewis, I think, said it eloquently when he said there are two mistakes people can make when they're dealing with or talking about the reality of Satan in this world. The first is that they don't take it seriously enough. They think, oh, there's no such thing as the devil or the devil's a guy in a red suit with a pitchfork uh, trying to make us sin. Or they take it too seriously, and they get too involved in the occult, which leads them in a totally opposite direction. So my purpose tonight in this talk is to give you some examples uh, right out of the course guide about the evil that exists in the world, and then one personal story that really uh, changed my view of the way I looked at evil as it works in the world. So what, um, we'll start with one. Why should we believe that the devil exists? That might be the first question people would be asking tonight. You know, what proof is there? What's out there that would actually make me want to believe that there is such a thing as Satan? Well, look in your Bibles on page 520. And what I'm going to do is give you the picture the Bible paints of this fallen angel, Satan. On 520, we should be in Isaiah 20 verse 12 of chapter 14 so there's 14 verse 12 how you have fallen from heaven O morning star son of the dawn you have been cast down to the earth you who once laid low the nations so there's this description of an angel um, his name in the bible is recorded as lucifer who fell from heaven Let's look at Job chapter 1 on 374. And what I'm trying to do here is give you a snapshot of who the Old Testament says uh, Satan is. So it's the very beginning of Job. Job chapter 1, verse 6. Everybody there? On excuse me, one day the angels, and I just told you a minute ago that's who Isaiah was describing, this angel one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came with them so here's an image in Job that now Satan is no longer part of the troop, Satan has set himself apart from the rest of the angels Um, let's turn to page 312 now so he's an angel He has set himself apart from other angels. And I want to get to what he does here on earth. Um, First Chronicles 21. And I want to look at verse number one. Satan, we just heard about him, rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. David was Israel's favored, favorite king. David was a man after God's own heart, the Bible describes. And here we see Satan, this fallen angel, rising up against God's chosen people, Israel, and inciting David to take this census. So Satan is a person the Bible describes as an angel who has fallen, who has influence over people. Finally, let's look at Luke chapter 10, page 773. We're in the New Testament now. Luke chapter 10, and we're on 773, and I want to look at verses 17 through 20. And this is Jesus speaking to 72 men and women that he sent out to do ministry, and this is Jesus telling them what happened from his perspective, starting at verse 17 at the top of 773. Here are Jesus and his 72 closest friends having a discussion about the evil forces that operate on this world, that come up against the forces of God. So what does this tell us about the person of Satan? Well, it tells us, first of all, that he's known by God. Remember Job, he comes and stands in front of God. Um, It tells us he was formerly an angel in heaven who fell to earth. And then that begs the question, well, what, excuse me, what is he doing here on earth now? Well, He's here, essentially, interfering with our lives. The short answer is, Satan is here to interfere with our lives. Um, Because his purpose is to separate us for all of eternity from our creator. I told you earlier in the first talk that we live in this condition of sin. Uh, When we begin to break down, we lie, we cheat, we abuse, we addict, we molest, we kill, we steal. Ultimately, this perfect creation of life or kingdom life becomes hell on earth. And you can look at things like our prisons, they're packed. Our schools are war zones. Our nations kill more unborn children every year than all the wars combined. Pornography, alcohol, drug addiction are all rampant. Single parents, suicide, and a general disregard for the sanctity of human life has become the norm, I would argue. So what's behind all this? It can't be a loving God, can it? What is behind this seeming destruction of the human race? Well, I want you to make no mistake about it tonight. I don't want to leave a question in your mind that we are in a battle here on earth. And again, I want you to remember the C.S. Lewis comment. Don't take Satan too seriously, but don't pretend like he doesn't exist. Um, He's here on this earth, and he's not to be underestimated. He's cunning. He's evil. He has power. And the good news in all of this, as the disciples saw, is that we have the power to defeat him. So now I feel like I've gotten your attention. I've gotten a little serious with you, and everybody's kind of staring at me like, okay, Gary, where are you taking us? And the question you might be asking yourself is, well, all right, I hear what the Bible says, but, but why, um, why believe that he exists? Well, as the Course Guide points out, tradition, tradition states um, that he exists. The church fathers believed it. The reformers, the people who started the, the uh, Protestant churches, believe in Satan. And ordinary Christians you'll meet in, a daily, in your daily lives will tell you about bad things that happen in their lives that are unique and, and sometimes attribute them um, to Satan. Uh, the other important thing to, re- to remember is, I believe it helps us make sense out of this world. As I read that laundry list of horrible things that are going on, and we've been standing up here talking for four weeks about a great and loving God, you have to kind of begin to ask yourself: I think, if you're somewhat rational, well, what explains the bad stuff? If God is good and full of love, what explains the bad stuff? Well, Satan does make sense, at least for me, of the bad things that happen in this world. So, what are what are the devil's tactics? What is, how, how does Satan do it? How does he do it? Look with me on page um, 799. And I've moved to the top of page 67 now in our course guide. So the Bible says he's real. Tradition in the Christian faith says he's real. Gary says it helps make sense out of this world that we live in. And I've reminded you twice now, don't get too far in either direction with this. Okay, so John 10.10 on page 799. John 10.10. Is, what, is, what does Satan do? How does he do it? John 10.10. The thief, that's Satan, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I, this is Jesus speaking, have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So Jesus is saying there is a God, or the Bible is saying there's a God of this age, and that's the devil. Um, and he's the arch enemy of God. He is not on the same playing field as God. I want to I make that point before I go any further. God and Satan are not equal in power. Um, Satan has allowed his dominion down here, and we'll read at the end in Revelations that one day that's all going to be taken care of. Um, so Satan aims to destroy us. I, I really want you to hear that. His goal is your finitude. He wants to separate you from God, who would provide everlasting life for you, so that when you die here, you die forever. And he's not going to be happy until he accomplishes that, which is why after a Holy Spirit weekend or an Alpha course, people begin to feel like they're under attack. I mean, I remember the old Saturday Night Live, they had a lady on there, it was a church lady, and it was Dana Carvey, and she used to, every answer she had was Satan, you know, and every she attributed everything to, you know, Satan, and, and your car breaking down coming here is not Satan. Um... But there are demonic forces, and I'll I'll talk about that just for a second. So the second way Satan aims to destroy us is by um, planting seeds of doubt. Seeds of doubt. Big seeds. The existence of God. There's no such thing. The promise of his salvation. Okay, if there is a God, he doesn't really care about us. Look at the condition of this world. Um, Our faith. Do you really have faith? I mean, Are you really believing something, or have you just kind of convinced yourself in some kind of psychosomatic way that believing in this thing is good? Our eternal life. Well, how do we even know there's eternal life? I mean, nobody's come back from eternal life to tell us there's eternal life, except this person, Jesus. I'm playing the role of Satan right now, in case you didn't get that. Okay. All right, look at me. Look, at, look with me about this doubt, and, and then I'm going to tell a story. Look with me at Genesis uh, on, on page two. Let's go all the way back to the beginning and look at, look at page two, and let me show you how Satan crafts doubt. So page one just says Genesis, and then page two, the third chapter. And it's titled in our Bibles, The Fall of Man. Page 2, chapter 3, first verse. Now the serpent, that's Satan, was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Well, if we had a lot more time tonight, I would show you in several places that's not what God said. But Satan is actually twisting the words around. God said in synopsis you can eat of anything in this garden just don't eat of one and so you see how satan kind of turns that on its head you must not eat from any tree so now satan's taken god's singular commandment and expanded it to make eve begin to doubt so this is that doubt that he casts in our head in 2000 or 2001 i went on a kairos weekend it was my first time being on a kairos weekend and kairos is prison ministry kairos means god's time now wait, this is Kronos. Man's time is Kronos, which is what I keep paying attention to. Kairos is God's time. They're both Greek words. So I go on a Kairos weekend, and it involves 12 weeks of preparation. You meet on Saturdays with a bunch of men. There are women's Kairos teams, too. But you meet for a Saturday, a couple hours, and you form a team, kind of like we're doing in these small groups, and then you go into the prison for four days, and we go to Libra, where there's maximum security, and we, cool things happen. They bake 7,000 dozen cookies, and every night, every inmate gets a dozen cookies. So the inmates that are going through the course when they go back to their cells don't get harassed about you know the great time they're having while everybody else is locked down. And we go into death row and we take cookies to all the death row men that are there. And it's a it's an exciting time. It's a very difficult ministry and I would never tell anybody to do it, but I would never tell anybody not to do it. So it's entire, you know you have to kind of let the Lord lead you when it comes to Kairos. Well anyway, this is my first one. I was excited about doing it. I had gone through the training and we got we drove over to Lieber and, it, you know, it, it's like something out of a movie. It was a dark, rainy day, and we pull up in our car, and the place just looked, you know, ugh. And so we, we got out, and you go through a series of checkpoints. I don't know if you've ever been to the prison, but you take everything off, your belt included and your shoes, and they check you out, and they take, your, they take your driver's license and all your ID away, and then they give you a number, which you have to return to them in order to get your ID back, and that's a little daunting. And then three or four of you at a time can go through these doors, and you finally make your way into a gymnasium where we were holding the weekend. And it, we broke it up into four sections using big plastic trash bags, and it was hotter than all get out, no air conditioning, and the men in that place don't use deodorant often, and they all smoke um, unfiltered, self-rolled cigarettes. So there is a distinct odor in the gym with that many men going through car. You can just It's something about it. So we have to walk in single file. We're walking in, and we had to go down through the center of the yard. And then we turned and we went into the gymnasium and we all knew what we were getting ready to do, but I had never gone before. So as I was walking in, just following uh, some guys and chatting, you know, like I'm off to do, I look over and I notice in the center of the yard a a lawn chair and it's a big lawn chair. It's it's maybe 10 or 12 feet long. And it's really out of place. And laying on this lawn chair is a big black lizard. This big lizard. I mean, it it was 12 feet long and it was laying on its back. And it looked over at me and I looked over at it. And I was walking now and stumbling and uh, the lizard said, I heard the lizard say, "Um, you can come in here this weekend, but you'll leave Sunday and I'll still be here. And I went, I I just kind of hung on to the guy in front of me and I walked past him and I went into the gymnasium I grabbed one of the leaders, the guy's been doing it forever and I said, you know, Bill, did you see that lizard out in the, it's just scared the, like you guys are probably a little scared right now, it scared the crap out of me, did you see that thing? He said, no. I said, What well, was I seeing things? I mean, what? he goes, no, 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 no. You I, you weren't seeing things. I'm sure it was there, Gary. They're all, you know, the, the, the demonic forces are all over this place. This is a really hor- horrible place. And that does have dominion. So I'm, I'm not doubting you for a minute. I, I'm, I'm sure you saw something out there. And since then, I've seen it one other time. Not that particular lizard, but I have seen those types of manifestations one other time. And I... It, so anyway, um, I say that because what he was saying to me, what this demonic force was saying to me was he was casting doubt on what we were doing. You guys may have spent 12 weeks praying, and you may have your Bibles, and you may be feeling really good about what you're doing. But just know as soon as you leave, it's all going to go to you-know-what in a handbasket. So this, this thing was casting doubt on our ministry, this thing that was talking to me. Okay, um, the other two are pretty uh, uh, self-explanatory. Look at that. Causes temptation. I'll confess, I think I was tempted 37 times today. I won't tell you what with and what about, but clearly there were 37 moments in my life, probably more, where I was tempted. Every temptation, of course, is not from Satan, but Satan's role in tempting us is to move us, to get us out of a place of being conformed to God's will and into some other way of thinking, creating idols in our life, creating anything that will separate us from the love of God. So, temptation is one of the ways the devil gets to us. And finally, um, and this is the worst one, bringing accusation. Um, I have a friend of mine who plays golf very badly, and he calls it negative self-talk. He's like, he gets over the ball, and he starts to stand, he goes, okay, I clear away the negative self-talk, clear away the negative self-talk. Uh, you know, positive, he's still, I mean, even when he's saying positive things, he still hits it in the water. But uh, anyway, it, it's, it's negative self-talk taken to the extreme. I'm not really a Christian. What happened to me on the beach, in the Atlantic Ocean on Saturday really didn't matter. It's Satan whispering in our ear over and over and over again that what we think is the truth is really a lie. It's negative self-talk taken to the extreme. So what's our position in all this? Well, the Alpha Course wants you to know, and so do I, that um, Satan was defeated on the cross. He still reigns here. Um, He still has power here, but the ultimate power that he had, death, he doesn't have that power anymore. And one day, He's not going to have any power. Look at page 773. Nope. Did I say 773? We just did that. Mm, Yeah, go to 773. Luke 10 again. Okay, that was the story. Well, you probably don't have to turn there. That was where Jesus says, all dominion and power has been given to you in my name. Remember that? We just read it a minute ago. Make sure I'm in the right place. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. and what Jesus is saying is there, I, as Jesus is saying, as God, I have dominion over Satan. It's not the other way around. And you, as my disciples, are given that same dominion. Paul says later things like, the power that raises Jesus from the dead is the power that lives inside you. That's the Holy Spirit that we heard over and over again about this Saturday. Um, and then again, another thing, Jesus gives his disciples uh, authority over demons. The church has a right of exorcism. Uh, there. So that, that's for casting out demons on someone who is possessed. That, in my opinion, doesn't happen too often, but I have seen lots of people oppressed. There's a difference. But the church takes it very seriously, and the church has the power, according to Jesus, to cast out these demons. So how do we defend ourselves? This is the part that I really want you to talk about the most in your small group. And so I'm going to wrap up my talk by just pointing out on page 68 what the Bible is speaking about six practical tips. There is uh, a section that you're going to go to in your Bible, and it's in uh, Ephesians. And I'll get you there in your Bibles, and then take your Bibles with you to small group. It's Ephesians 6.11, and I should have that page. Yeah, 872. Go there. And this is not some trite little... Uh, my son had a one-year, I got a costume by, from his grandmother, and it was the whole armor of God. And, you know, and he had a, he had a Roman helmet and he had a shield and a sword. and uh, you'll, you'll read about all these things. Um, that, that, that was cute on a five-year-old kid, uh, but that's not where it ends. That was just an image of what Paul is talking about here in Ephesians. Uh, let's see. It's uh, Ephesians 6, starting at the 18th verse. Is that where I want to be? No, sorry. 872, the armor of God. There it is. Starting. Right. No, 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 no. It's the end of Ephesians. You guys are goofing me up here. Okay. It's Ephesians, but it's on the Philippians page. Go up. Uh, Yeah. This is good. Everybody's paying attention. Uh, 613 is where it starts. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. So that is what I want you to take into your small group and talk about. You can talk as long as you want. We've actually almost got a full 45 minutes. You can talk as long as you want about Gary's crazy story of the lizard. You can talk about events in your life. Spend some time at the very beginning talking about the Holy Spirit weekend, anybody that was there that would like to share. But um, the Course Guide does a beautiful job of walking you through what tangibly this armor of God looks like. And it's essentially what I just walked you through in the talk. Um, Conforming to God's will. Focus on Jesus. That's number one. That's the belt. Uh, Keep your relationships right. That doesn't mean live in a Christian bubble. That doesn't mean live in a Christian bubble. That means the people you get advice from, the people that you want to seek out when you have tragedy in your life, ought to be people that you're pretty sure have a stable faith. Um, Not a perfect faith, but a stable faith. Um, Get involved in service. Uh, Volunteer to cook meals for Alpha. Uh, Show up and hand out food. Even if you're not even sure Jesus exists, get involved in service and see what that does uh, in your life as you give to others. Um, here's the hard one. Keep trusting God in difficult times. It's a tough thing when you're in a hospital room. Uh, I've seen it, though. It's an amazing thing when people, faithful people are laying there and they're thinking, you know what? If I go, I go. That won't be bad. And if I stay, I stay. That won't be bad either. But it, it's, it doesn't come overnight. Like we said on the Holy Spirit weekend, it's, this is a journey that we're on. Um, the helmet of salvation is the battle of the mind. I think that's probably the hardest one for all of us Westerners. We, you know, we want to reason and think and use our intellect, and that's great. We heard about that earlier. But um, it's about lining up the past, the present, and the future. It's about thinking about your life in its totality and maybe asking yourself the Dr. Phil questions occasionally. Well, how's this really going for me? And then uh, six, know your Bible. I mean, the, the, the scriptures that I've pulled out tonight to try to make a case for who Satan is, uh, it would be helpful if, as you move forward and about, well, is what Gary said really the truth? Go back in and look. I mean, your course guide, you'll take this with you. You can spend your own time reading a little in advance of what we read tonight and reading some afterwards. If you've got a decent Bible, you know, one that has, um, this is not that it's not decent, but if you have a, a study Bible, then you can look up cross-references in that. You could go to those verses that we looked up tonight, and you can begin to do your own investigation. Don't take my word for it. And then just think about your life. You know, think about the way your, your life has gone. Think about certain things in your life and, and, and see if anything I've said about evil in this world rings true. Rings true. So you've got 40 minutes for small group time. Thank you for your attention. Remember, we only got three alphas left after this, and this is our second to the last small group time. Thanks.